0: So, but I mean, we wanted to talk about black pines and yep. um, I've been growing black pines. Well, I've been growing Japanese blacks and Japanese red pines for, and Japanese white pines for the, virtually the whole time I've been doing bonsai. I, I got pines when I first started out, but never really knew how to look after them and sort of yeah. limited knowledge on what you could do with them. John Marsh and, and the PM Bonsai Society back in 98, you know, sort of. Gave me a little bit of insight, but even still a a bit of an enigma, that one. is sort of a mythical tree, you know? How do you work on it? How do you do it? Um, Bought a lot of books. Yep. Uh, Bonsai Today has actually a a book that they put out called The Pine, on on Pines, called The Masters Series, and I bought that book and read that book front to back and um, learnt as much as I could about the different species of pines different there's different types of blacks obviously you've got nashiki which is the cork bark and then the many types of normal black pine Um, and then you've got many types of white pine different bark characteristics different needle lengths needle characteristics as well Um, so many of these different things but I always kept coming up like oh you do this with a black pine oh okay and then someone else would say, "No, no, no! You do this with a black pine. You break the candles. You cut the candles. You cut the needles. You rip them You you pluck the needles. You yep. do this. You do that." So for the first, I, I one of the techniques that I used for a long time, which is still quite widely used, is the ten day technique, where you go through Japanese black pines, especially. And I'm, I might be talking out of turn, whether or not it's the red and the white as well. But I know with the Japanese black, they have a A um what's called what like if you injure the tree, it'll send resources to that injured part. Yep. Um and and pull resources away from the growing areas to fix that injured part of the tree. So the ten day technique works on the principle of you go through on the first time and you pinch out the weak candles or the weak part of the tree. And then ten days later you do the medium part of the tree, and then ten days later you do the strong part of the tree. Or yep. strong, stronger needles. So if you're working on a branch as an individual thing, uh, just to break it down, you'd work on those inner buds on the inside first, then the ones in the mid range, and then the ones all the way on the tips. Because you're working with you know the weakest, medium, and the strongest parts of the of the tree or of the branch. What's the strong part? What's the weak part? These were questions that weren't being answered for me. Well, what's the weak part of the tree? Like, what's I can see that this is strong. It's got lots of needles, lots of growth. So that must be the strong part of the tree. And so there were always these questions in my head, you know, okay, well, how do I know, you know, and it says it says in the books, you know, when to break them off and when to do this, when to, when to snap those candles. And, you know, and so for years I did that technique. Um, and that technique was, you know, um, backed up by other books that I bought. I bought a book from, um, Steve Palasek, uh, Pilasek, Um he's a an American bonsai artist, and um, also bought one from one of our own bonsai artists who owned Bonsai South, Hoi Leong Kwong. Uh, Pine bonsai in the temperate climate—that's another book that's a good book for for doing pines. But there's so much information that I was getting confused. Yeah,
1: I think that happens a lot,
0: you know. And and I'm thinking, well, it, it, do I break candles? Do I cut candles? When do I cut them? Is now the right time? And these are always sort of going through my mind. And and you get into the routine uh, of working on these trees and working them over. Um, but the results that I was that I was getting were intermittent. Like yep. sometimes really good, sometimes they were just struggling along. And I was trying to work out. Well, is that me? Is that timing? Is that I've done too much? Um, it said leave a little bit of the candle, or it said take the candle off completely. What, what? What do I do? Why isn't this butt extending? Why is that one? You know. So there were a lot of, a lot of areas that were, I, I felt were holes holes that needed to be filled. Yep. 2013 AABC convention, and it's part of what, and this is. Yeah, you know, part of why I sp- I sp- uh, the conventions a lot is that you you learn so much at these things. 2013, Canberra. I actually went down with Hugh. Um, not we went separately, but uh, Hugh was there, and um, Brian Neal. Yep. I think it was the first time <clears throat> he'd ever been to Australia, and uh, saw his demonstration. He was doing a demonstration on a juniper first. And then he did a demonstration on a Japanese red pine, an old red pine, which was part of the national collection, and um, went through and he showed me this tech. He showed this technique um, for doing candle pruning, um, and then shoot selection. That's it. And I was like, "What? Hang on, hang on a sec, mate. There's so much more. It's much more complex than that. It can't be that easy." Yeah. Can't be that easy, mate. Surely there's more to it. And he went through it again. Where's the strength in pines? It's in their roots. That allows us to do a decandle, right? So how is that strength in the roots allocated through the tree? Needle mass. Now this is for, and and I've since learnt more, that there are two types of pines. You've got multi-flush pines, like the Japanese black pine and the japanese red pine and i'm sure there are other pines out there that are multi-flush pines yep and then you've got single flush pines well hang on a sec well what's what's going on here and then within single flush pines you have short needle single flush and long needle single flush yep well hang on a sec this is starting to be broken down i'm starting to understand this a little bit more and then he said he went through and he said look you know, the theory behind needle mass being where resource allocation is spent is the fact that if you leave an area with more needles on it than another area, it will just continue to get stronger. The tree's photosynthesizing more in that area. It's transpiring more. That that means that there's more resources being sent to that area just through transpiration. Yep. The tree's going to grow more in that area. So the theory behind the needle needle plucking or needle reduction and and allocating resources properly across a black pine is in that needle mass. So if I am to and this is and I always say this to people when whenever you acquire a pine it's the first time you've got it, it's on your table on your turntable, whatever it's in front of you. what do you do? You find the weakest significant area on the tree. Now usually that's a low branch. Yep. Usually that's uh, you know somewhere on the lower, area, lower branch or lower area of the tree because typically being an apically dominant tree, they will push their energy towards the top. And if it's a tree that's been let go, then it's definitely going to have all of its energy at the tips. Yeah. So find that weakest significant area. Now it may have on each shoot six to 10 to 12 needle pairs on that weak area. And on the strong area, it might have 15 to 20 pairs, 25 pairs of needles on that shoot. So with that thought in mind, that resource allocation is, is um, according to needle mass, if we bring each shoot down to 10 to 12 pairs of needles across the whole tree, the theory is, that the tree should say, well, hang on a sec. Everything is the same. Everything is as important as the last, yep. as, as each other. Therefore, I need to send equal resource to each area of the tree. Now, by doing that needle plucking when you first get the tree, and that's needle plucking, those needles that are underneath branches, those needles that are... Um, In the junctions of branches, they're very important ones to pull out because if you, the junctions of branches, that's where a lot of that energy is flowing from the outside, from the, through photosynthesis, they're coming from the needles on the outside through those junctions. So there's a lot of energy going through those junctions. It's very typical for juniper or pine to throw needles at that junction. Yep. Throw a little bud at that junction. But the problem is for us as pine growers is now I've got three. Yeah you know and one of the things that is very important for growing a pine is never have more than three and that's three shoots at any one point now when you're growing a tree one is always the trunk so if you've got another uh, two or three branches popping from the same spot in a whirl which is very typical of how uh, pines grow you need to make selections on that very quickly yeah. Otherwise, you end up with what I call a golf ball in the middle of your tree. Yeah, swelling. Never looks good. And trees and pines grow quick if they're fed well, and that, that golf ball will expand very quickly. So pulling those needles out in the junctions of the branches is very important. Taking the tree down to two at each junction is very important so we don't get that golf ball growth, that really swelling whirl growth. Um. And, and taking, as I say, that first first styling, if you like, um, taking all of the needle mass down to 10 to 12 pairs per shoot. Uh, you do that after over the next couple of months, the tree, and you can do that at any time of year. I'm not talking about candle pruning or anything. I'm just talking about needle plucking to 10 to 12 pairs across the whole tree. 10 to 12 pairs, the tree will continue to photosynthesize at a good rate and continue to grow. It's Let, just
1: energy distribution.
0: It's just energy distribution. I'm just telling the tree that I want it to send energy to everywhere, not just one point. Um, so you can do that at any time, as I say. Um, and then the, the major, like I often say to people, like five years from 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 initial styling to the bench, and that's the competition bench, five years. Yep. So the first year and, and a lot of this first year is about growing the roots, getting a really strong root system. Remember we said or remember I said that the strength in pines comes from their roots? We need to build in that first year a really strong, healthy root system. Lots of food. The tree is fed throughout the season, whole season. Yep. Including winter. A lot of people pull off and stop feeding in winter. And I suppose being in Australia, um, we have such a wide variety of uh, uh, growing zones. You know, We're in a temperate climate here where we are here, whereas south, obviously, there's alpine climates. North, there's tropical. So you're really going to have to adjust this to, to where you live. Um, but um, <coughs> when you're... um I forgot my place where I'm up to.
1: yeah you're talking about um energy distribution by needle plucking
0: yeah needle plucking um so that first year we're we're building roots
2: yep feeding Um, all year
0: feeding all year really trying to pump the tree okay now where people go wrong with pines is they think that they can get back buds through candle pruning if you get back buds through candle pruning, it's not actually because of the candle pruning. It's just the tree's strong enough to initiate back buds. Yeah. The way we grow back buds on pines is to actually allow the tree to run and grow and get vigorous and strong. Yep. So as a tree, as the pine sends out more energy along a branch, and the branch becomes more responsive in that it's it's actually producing more and more food for the tree, the tree will actually throw buds out on that branch and back buds all the way in. Um, it's it's quite amazing how easy they will back bud if you let them grow and feed them really well. Um, high nitrogen, high potassium, high phosphorus. Yep. High everything um, in that first year of growth. Now, when you, you shouldn't be worried about anything like le- needle length or anything like that in that first year. Um, second year... And this is, this is, this whole um, five year cycle is based on what I learned in 2013 with Ryan Neal. So I've sort of segued off that a little bit, but it's, it's every, it's, it comes down to what he taught at that 2013. It was a real eye opener for me. Now, (coughs) second year, this, this tree is still just growing roots, right? It's, sorry, the first year is growing roots, second year, we're into growing foliage. So we might actually style the tree. Right, set that initial structure and style the tree, all right? But we're still allowing it to really pump and grow. By this stage though, we do have back budding. Yep. But if we were to cut back to that back budding now, that back budding doesn't have enough of a uh, enough drive to continue pulling nutrients up from the roots. So the branch could actually die. Yep. So we need that back budding to actually uh, form and start extending. Once it's extending, we can cut off that length and start building our bonsai, building our pine, and that's a very important thing with pines is that we are that we are building them. Um, so, third year, um, and every spring, um, every spring we can go through and do that uh, needle pluck. Yep, um, and you can do it all um, actually at the end of summer as well. Um, beginning of autumn you can needle pluck but you can needle pluck at any time as I mentioned before now once the tree is actually shooting up and you've got all the structure done and the back buds are starting to shoot candles as well all right we're into the tree changes from that development phase into a refinement phase all right so we're in about halfway through year uh, sorry yeah we're almost into year three now yep all right so we're into that uh, refinement phase of the tree. Now, this is where we start using the decandling technique. Now, spring starts, and this is where that 10-day technique came in, snapping candles. Now, that works for a single flush pine. Yep. It doesn't work for multi-flush pines. And this is where that discrepancy of information wasn't there when I was back in the... 2000s all the way through i just didn't have that it wasn't quantified to me exactly what to do and knowing that a tree knowing that your pine is a multi-flush or single flush is the most crucial thing to owning a pine because they are treated quite differently so please understand that i'm only talking about multi-flush pines now um I don't work with a lot of single flush um the only single flush pine that i work with is the radiata yep and I've only been treating that as a single flush this year. <laughs> Before that, I was treating it as a multi-flush. And because of our temperate climate here and the fact that our trees grow so wild and so quickly, I was getting the results as if it was a multi-flush. But I've come to to think it is a single-flush pine. Yep. So it needs to be treated quite differently. Um, but back to the multi-flush, uh, you've got your tree. It's spring. It's growing. I'm feeding it heavily, heavy, heavy, heavy feed. Yep. I'm going to feed it at least. Now, I feed my trees with um, a little bit of organic uh, fertilizer, uh, liquid, and also um, uh, pellets, yep. right? So I use the two, um, and I feed quite regularly during this, during that spring season. The, the, the candles are all extending. The needles are getting bigger. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what is – why are we – Decandling a pine. There's two reasons why we decandle a pine. We decandle a pine for shorter needles and shorter internodes. Yep. So with the multi flush, and please remember this is just multi flush pines, your black pine and your red pine. You will feed them like crazy and allow those candles to extend, then allow the tree to get full vigor, full strong. The needles get long, don't worry about it. All right. Beginning of summer. Now this, this is dependent on where you live. In Melbourne, you'll be doing it right in the beginning of summer. In Queensland, you could do it in the middle of in the beginning of summer. But if you did it in the beginning of summer, you could probably do it again at the end of summer. Yep. Because they actually sometimes get three flushes of growth up in Queensland. I've never seen it. I've only heard about it. Um, but three flushes of growth in the one year. So you're going from two to four to eight in one year. Yeah, It's so right. pretty intense yep. with regards to ramifying your tree. um, So we're in spring. We're allowing it to grow. We've got full food on. And I'm feeding all the way up until the beginning of November. And then I'm stopping feeding. If I'm if I'm going to do this work in Melbourne, I'm doing this work, this decandling process at the beginning of December. Up here where I am here, I do this work at my place at the beginning of January because yep. we're, we're that much warmer. Um, if Queensland, as I say, you could do it at the beginning of summer or you'd leave it later. Now, if you've got a big tree, you'll do it earlier because you, you want those needles to respond and you've got a lot of needles to come out on yep. a small show in tree on a real small one. You'd do it actually at the end of January, right? Now, what we're looking to do is decandle the tree as well as needle pluck the tree. Right, so we actually needle pluck the tree down to six to eight pairs per shoot, right, or per branch, whatever shoot. Um, now, this really reinforces the tree to issue new shoots, right, yep. at the cut sites. So, when we're decandling, we're actually taking off the complete candle all the way, leaving five mil at the base of the new growth. Um, five mil three mil round that we don't want to cut much lower there are dormant buds sitting at the base of that new shoot that's what we're wanting to shoot out yep um, by doing this process but i've stopped feeding for a very good reason now i don't feed all the way until these new shoots that pop out sort of mid-january about four to six weeks you'll start getting or two to three weeks you'll start getting the shoots pop out you'll probably get If it's a strong, healthy tree and you're fed properly, you'll get four to five shoots per terminal, right? You allow these, all of them, to harden off and like grow and harden off. No food. If you feed during that time, those new shoots will actually extend and get longer. Yep. What are we doing decandling for? Shorter needles, shorter internodes. Yep. So no food. Once they've hardened off, which is usually about mid to late March, early April, Um, where I am once they've hardened off I can then come back in shoot select yep right so I'm taking them down to twos I don't want three shoots at a spot I want two so that two that process there I'm also going through and needle plucking again this time to 10 to 12 pairs but that allows that photosynthesis to continue growing. Now that 6 to 8 pairs that we were needle plucking at the beginning of summer when we actually did the candle prune. We're doing that to starve the tree of, of resources. Yep. So the tree has to put out more resources. And that's where the backbutting comes in. You will often get backbutting when you're doing decandling, but it's it's a it's a response to the fact that there's no sugar production getting done because you needle plucked it so low. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a response there. And that's it. That's black pines. Once you have them in that refinement phase and they're healthy and you maintain health, that is the key to to everyone's trees is that health. Once you've got them in that cycle, decandle in summer, needle pluck to six to eight pairs, shoot select in April and needle pluck 10 to 12 pairs, they're the only two times you need to touch the pine. Yeah, all year, other than wiring. Yep. That's it. And usually, I will wire when I um am doing uh the shoot selection in April. Right. I usually wire all. Um, I wire most of my trees in April and May, um, because I know that the wire won't dig in as much over winter. Yeah. Yep. Um, and plus two, um. It's. Yeah, it's just the time that I am too busy repotting and getting everything done in spring to wire, and spring wiring only usually stays on for a couple of weeks because the tree's growing so quick, yeah, and thickening so quick. Um, so that's when I'm doing most of my wiring on my pines is, is during that time.
1: So and when you shoot selecting in autumn, yep, you're also not only are you shoot selecting down to two, yep. but you're trying to find the most lateral two. Well,
0: there's three parameters for shoot selection. And thanks. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so there's three parameters that I look for. And as I say, you can find all of this stuff uh, online. Ryan Neal has a YouTube. Uh, it's on YouTube. And if you're so inclined to join something like a Bonsai morai, all that information's on there. Um, but what I, what I know is that those three parameters are strength, um, uh, angle. Yep and orientation now laterally orientation lateral orientation is ideal yeah. if we if we can get it if it's up and down it's on top and underneath it doesn't matter we can change the orientation with wire yeah and so that's why that's the third thing strength is the main one we want to cut out the strongest um, uh, new shoot in the in the apical region we probably want to leave the strongest new shoot in the lower regions just to maintain that balance, the tree will always, always want to go back to being a big tree. Yep. Um, So you're going to be constantly needle plucking an apex, constantly maintaining that apex. Um, But once the tree, and this is, it's a funny thing that happens. After a number of years of doing it, the tree just ends up growing evenly, really even growth, um, good sized needles across the whole tree. Um and and it'll just it, it falls into that rhythm if you like the tree just gets used to that rhythm and and it'll just push out. Now that that line of 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 um sorry get back to those three points. I'll talk about the what I was going to say before. Um so those three points. Strength is one one two is that angle and it's something that a lot of people don't realise and something that I was taught when I first started Bonsai was, well, you just cut out the strongest one in the center. Just cut out the center, mate. Get rid of the center and it'll be sweet. Problem is, it leaves you with what I call the horseshoe. Yeah. This big obtuse angle. Yeah. It looks like the devil horns on the ACDC thing, you know? (laughs) Like, it's this big obtuse angle that cannot be corrected. And over time, and you can see it in some of my trees that I've had for a long time, um, really poor angles on my cuts and the ensuing growth has been yeah, it's been strong but it's been at nearly 180 degrees of each other and I've had to bring that round and over time it just doesn't look good so the the more acute the angle of the buds the better yep. um you can you, you it allows you to build that fan-shaped pad that is so desirable in pines um and it, and it gives you space um to be able to work with um and that and that third one orientation, if you can have laterally growing buds, and there will be buds everywhere by doing this technique. If you feed the tree up really well during that October, uh, September, October, November, you feed that tree really well. And part of that reason we stop feeding in November is that nitrogen takes about four weeks to run out run out of the pot. Yep. And so for December, February, March. So December, January, February, March, those four months basically that you're not going to feed, the tree's going, well, hang on a sec, where do I get my food from? I there's no nitrogen to pull up to extend my needles. I get really short needles, really short internode node growth uh, length, and plus two, I've got all this built-up energy. What am I going to do with it? All this, boom, I just pop buds everywhere. So um, the back budding, people need to understand you need to grow your branches long and big and bushy leave leave all the needles no needle plucking no needle plucking at all in that first year we want to build strength we want yeah. to build back buds we want to build roots um, the more needles you can leave on the better in those first few developing years and you know you, you it's hard because when you get into it you think oh I want this bonsai I want the shape and so you know you shape it and then it has to grow out of that shape, and then you shape it again and grow out of that shape. you know. Um, but with a pine, you really need to let it grow out of that shape. You yeah. really need to let it grow long. Um, and you can have – what I was going to say was that line between – and people are probably thinking, oh, okay, so the tree has to be in full development or it has to be in full refinement. Well, no, not really. I can have a branch in development and the rest of the tree being in refinement. Yeah. I can break that down. Now, the way we handle that developing branch is slightly different. We might actually let those candles extend, right? And rather than candle pruning the whole length off, I may, if, if I've got back buds there, but they're not actually quite strong enough yet, but I don't want to thicken the branch up anymore, but I still need to develop those buds. I might actually come, say, mid to late January. I might come in and and cut that new growth back, but cut it in a way so that I'm leaving some of the new needles. Yeah. Right. And so that allows what that's telling the branch is, that, well, hang on a sec. I don't want I don't want to thicken anymore, but I need to keep growing because you've left these new needles on. They're the most photosynthetically active. Plus, I've got all these new back buds with all these photosynthetically active needles on them too, so I can still grow but I'll grow these more. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's a balance of energy in a development phase on the branch, whereas the rest of the tree may still be in that, may be fully refined. And quite often if, if say, for example, you for some reason one of the branches on your pine goes weak, right, and you think to yourself, well, I can pinch out the needles on the rest of the tree to get them back to that weak area, but, geez, that weak area is really weak, and you shouldn't go below that 10 to 12 pair threshold just just to maintain that photosynthetically drive of the tree you know you want it to remain healthy no matter what yep so on that one branch you may shift that branch back into development you know and i say that with inverted commas because it's not as though it's something you switch a button on it's yeah. a decision you make yeah you know and you know i'm showing you trees today trees that were in bonsai pots for 20 years and then i've made a mistake oh that tree has to go back into development and um, understanding that, and I never, I never really understood that with a pine. I thought, oh well, the whole tree's got to be in refinement. I've got to be, I've got to be cutting all the candles off everything. And um, and when you, and this is another point, getting back to cutting the candles, um, people, and I said, you know, leave that three to five mil. You want to cut every candle, yep, on the tree, strong, medium, weak. And one of the most crucial things is, and something that I never knew before Ryan Neal told, said it, you need to cut those unopened buds as well. Just nick them, but you need to nick those unopened buds. And by cutting every candle on the tree, every single candle on the tree, um, at the one time, as well as that needle plucking back to six to eight pairs, the whole tree the tree says to itself, holy crap, I've got to push out energy here and I have, to, I have to push out buds here and I have to do it quickly. Two to three weeks, you've got new shoots everywhere. Yep. But you'll have new shoots even on those unopened buds. You'll have two new shoots off that. You'll have two new shoots off the medium. You'll have two new shoots off the strong. How you shoot select then in another four months' time, three months' time or however long it is, how you shoot select then determines how strong those inner buds are going to be. So out out on the end of the branch, I'm going to leave the weaker buds But on the inside of the branch where I've got to go to two, I'm going to leave the stronger buds. So I'm constantly balancing that energy between, even on the one branch, so that I can maintain energy across the whole thing. So, yeah. But once, as I say, once they're in that cycle, once they're in that that, um, work cycle, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Pines twice a year, that's it. don't, Don't touch them any other time.
1: And I think um, a good little tip too, uh, you know, we are talking about lateral buds. Yeah. Um, When you're getting back budding on a tree, obviously it's good to try and get lateral back buds as well. Absolutely. And a great way to get that, and you actually taught me this, and it was reinforced by Ryan, Mm. is you pluck your vertical needles. Yes. And where you may want back buds... You leave, leave your lateral need- needles, yeah, and you're more likely to get a, a shoot from that area, absolutely, than anywhere else. It's yeah. not guaranteed, but yep, it's more of a chance that you're going to get a bud, hundred percent, come out of that section.
0: Yeah, and when you're wiring and like needle plucking too, we never remove all of the needles, yep. right? Needle plucking, um, don't think that you go through and remove all the needles. Um, you always leave some needles on the on a on a pine, and you're leaving six to eight pairs during the decandling or 10 to 12 pairs as a general rule, 10 to 12 pairs. Um, but you're always leaving some older needles. Yeah. That that's something that I only learned through Ryan Neal, um, how, how important those older needles are to hormonal control of the tree. Um, and you won't necessarily find a problem with removing all of those older needles initially, You may not have a problem for two or three years, but after a number of years, you might find, oh, hang on a sec, my branch is dying. The tree's not able to control its hormonal distribution because you keep pulling off all the old needles. So those hormones that are so essential for maintaining uh, stability of of growth and and, um, distribution of resources in the tree, um, those hormones aren't there to be controlled. And the older needles are the ones that are significant Players in that area yeah so and you're right like in that's what you said about removing leaving those lateral needles and removing needles um some part of it is you're removing needles to put the wire down yeah You, you know what i mean like i have to put that wire let's say it's 50 degrees some say 45 others 55 60 degrees whatever however whatever angle you wire it's up to you Um, But 45's at your minimum, say. So, but I've got to put that wire somewhere. And one of the worst things you can do is put needles underneath wire. Yep. They're dead. If you put them underneath the wire, they will die. It's as simple as that. You'll break them or they'll just rip in the sheath. Um, So you need to clear a space for your wire to go. And by clearing uh, in that sort of leaving the lateral needles, but clearing some on one side and then on the other side like you said and leaving a, that distribution um, down the branch allows the wire but allows those new buds to come in the places that you want and once you start breaking pines down like that and you have that that real
1: um, it's like a recipe yeah they're the easiest trees to work with out there just knowing the fundamentals it's,
0: it's just fundamentals and timing yep knowing that Okay, it's beginning of summer. I'm going to finish feeding my tree. I'm going to feed it up like normal all my other trees. I mean, let's face it, we fertilize our bonsai a yep. lot. And I'm feeding that thing up as strong as I can September, October, November. I stop feeding it. If I'm if I'm slow releasing with Osmocote, make sure that I'm, I'm only using a three-monther. Yep. Because um, otherwise you will have to take it off. Yeah, tip it out. You cannot have that continuing to feed otherwise why are you decandling
1: yeah because i think for the people listening that are wondering why you would stop feeding you know a Mm. month before summer yep uh is because you're trying to get rid of the nitrogen out of the pot you want because nitrogen's soluble so it'll drain out of the pot within four weeks and nitrogen is what causes elongation key
0: driver yeah Absolutely.
1: So, so you're trying to get rid of that nitrogen out of the pot. Yep. You know, before... But that. I
0: mean, new new research, oh, not necessarily ever new research, but, you know, new research on my part, you know, finding out different types of nitrogen, nitrate versus nitrite. Um, where does the nitrogen come from? Um, you know, a chicken-based manure is, is, is better than uh, a horse-based manure or a... Cow, but finding yeah. out all the, and and why, um, you know. Apparently, and I and I and I'm only going off what I've I, I've been told and what I've listened to. Uh, apparently, those chicken-based manures increase the cytokinin uh, production in the tree. And what is what does that do? As a hormone in a tree, increases branching. Yep. Well, hello, that's exactly what we need as bonsai artists. We need more and more branching. So. All of a sudden, you should, you know, should we be centering our fertilizing regime around more of a chicken based manure? I mean, I use uh, a rooster booster. I don't like to necessarily name known, but rooster booster um, on mine. It's like a, it's exactly like a dynamic lifter. Yep. Um, as well as doing the liquid ferts over the top. Um, now, on my more mature trees, all my all my dosages are actually at half. I only I don't put full dosages on because I don't want big extensions. I don't want big growth on my bonsai. Um if I've got growth on and I often say this to people at demonstrations, if I've got six inch, eight inch growth on my bonsai, I'm doing something
2: wrong. Yeah.
0: And they go, What? But I thought you wanted it to grow. Yeah, I do. But I only wanted it to grow like two yeah, two inches, five centimeters at most. And that within that five centimeters I've got three or four Internodes, Yeah. I don't want to have 15 or 20 centimetres of growth with three or four internodes. My internode's are too long. I'm losing ramification. I'm losing the detail and that scale that I'm after in a bonsai. Yeah. So once your tree hits maturity, being very, very diligent with regards to your fertilising. Um, I don't like putting fertiliser in my actual mix um, yep. because I can't control it. Yeah, that's it. I can't control that. And, and forever I was taught to put it in my mix um, from day dot, um, you know. And I mean, bonsai mixes as a whole, substrates, whoa, wow, that's a that's a hornet's nest, that one sometimes with some people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I was just thinking, you know, as you were saying that, it'd be great to have a fertilizer expert on because, I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Oh, so if you're listening and you're a fertilizer expert,
0: get on here. We need to know.
1: Please get in contact because
0: we we uh, need to know. That's that's the thing. Like it's a constant learning curve. Part of what really intrigues me about bonsai, and still, 24 years later, I get excited. I'm, you know, talking about this, and you know, you can get a fertilizer. Here's a stand up on the back of my neck. I want to do it. Let's go. (laughs) So, and that's. But I mean, that's me. I'm. Yeah, my wife will say that I'm a bit neurotic sometimes over certain things like that.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's like you, Ryan Neal's doing the soil experiments at the moment on asymmetry. Amazing. And when you listen to that, you think, man, is soil really that complicated and what am I missing out on? What opportunities am I missing? Because, you know, up until now this information hasn't been available to me. And, I mean, that could be the same thing with fertilisers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when, when it comes to me and soil, my soil knowledge is probably a bit better than some other people's, but not at the level that they're talking about it, you know.
0: No, uh, a lot of – I've listened, I've actually listened to that podcast maybe five or six times and there's still things that I stop, rewind, play it again. Yep. I need to understand it. I need to try and work that out. Um, but yeah, like you know, one of the big things that is being pushed by uh, pushed in Australia at the moment is our change of a bit of a soil substrate. You know, a lot of people going to inorganic soils. I know in my club that there's a quite a number of people who use inorganics. Um, you know, your akadama, um, scoria, um, and a pumice mix, or a diatomite, or a zeolites. Another one that people's using a lot of. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, these are the mixes that are more traditionally based on Japanese mixes for bonsai. Um, and move move away from what would be considered like if you were to go to, to, to say you know, the big bunnings or one of the or a bonsai nursery, let's say, and buy a buy a mix off them. Um and i and i I've done that many times um bought mix as a as a general i, I still come home and sieve that mix though I use a lot of sieves um
1: you lose sixty percent of it then you
0: lose sixty percent of it because <laughs> most of it's sand yeah um so one of the things we need to be careful of in Australia though, and I find it, we live in a hot country, yeah, it's so damn hot here, they don't have that heat in japan it's it's very different. I was there in the middle of summer, and it gets hot. I was in a singlet and I was sweating, but it's not our hot.
1: Yeah, it's not that dry, desert heat.
0: And they're watering that substrate three to four times a day during summer. So if you have your trees in that substrate, you know, you're watering every morning without fail. And then maybe coming home at lunch (laughs) to water again or you are taking some some real precautions, shade netting, putting them in, you know, making sure they get afternoon, day shade or whatever the case may be. You're taking some severe precautions to maintain the health of your tree. So in a lot of respects, I can understand why people go for more more of a soil mix sort of substrate, one of your more commercial mixes. I can understand that. They're a lot more water-retentive Um you're safeguarding your bonsai. Yeah. Now, does that necessarily give you the best bonsai though?
1: It'll give you thicker growth, it, more elongated growth. It can do. It's not going to give you that finer growth.
0: It it, it can do, but and it's
1: it's that balance of it's well, a balance. if I don't have it in that mix, there's a possibility it could die because I can't look after it. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, for me, I use a very aerobic mix mm. to get finer. Finer root systems, finer growth and all that kind of stuff. But I'm also lucky enough to have the money to be able to put together irrigation systems and automatic watering, you know, timers Mm. and all that kind of stuff.
0: And then there'll be those people out there who go, oh, you shouldn't do that though Mm. because you shouldn't water bonsai as um, what I call blanket watering. You're watering the whole collection in one go. Yeah. Now you can get around that and still blanket water by changing your mix. So you pine you sieve out all your fines for your conifers. Yep. You'll leave all those fines in for your deciduous. Yep. You know, so you you you're actually altering the the substrate that you're potting with and 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 hoping that they all dry out at roughly the same time.
1: Well, you it's know? less in my case it's less blanket and more Put things on certain benches Ah They have certain lines So
0: you're grouping them together Yeah So everything is yeah, okay. One,
1: two, three, four And yep. bench one might get X amount of mills. Yep For uh, Well I mean it works more of You know Um 30 seconds Every you Yeah know, Six hours or something And then some might only get a mist Yeah um yeah,
0: yeah I, I um i hand water my my trees um i've hand watered i used to have a when i had the nursery i had a had a, a system um and it's when you've got a lot of trees like you know ash up at the nursery or when i had my nursery or even say rays down at rain rescue whoever it is yeah um when you've got a lot of trees you just don't have the time to spend uh, watering by hand.
1: Well, by the time you finish watering the last tree, you've got to go back and start again in summer. Start
0: again, you've got too many trees. <laughs> so so you're banking on that, that that substrate, that potting mix drying out at a good rate. And um, I know up at the nursery, we've had problems with other other trees from collections coming in with different substrates. Um, we had one come in in a... Um, it was a zeolite, uh, uh, diatomite, and... Pumice mix, I think, uh, maybe with some pine bark in it as well. Um, that tree needed watering two to three times a day during summer because yep. um, it was in a fully exposed position. We moved it to a less exposed position, but it still needed watering twice a day. And um, for some, like, it didn't get kept up. We lost a branch on that tree, and that tree was actually there to be sold from a, another person's collection. Yep. And we we're like, oh, geez, sorry, mate, the branch died, but that's purely because the the mix that we use at the nursery is is a good mix, and we water to that mix. And we had a another tree that was in actually the the old school Koroshef mix, which is uh, it's cow manure, coconut core, and um, blue metal. Yep. Right, or really sharp river sand. Um, and after a period of time, it's a good mix initially, but after a period of time, that coconut core breaks down. The cow manures, or the the, I think it's cow manure in there. Anyway, it's broken down. All you're left with is the blue metal. Yeah. And so the tree's just living in blue metal. <laughs> um, and we couldn't get enough water to it, and this cedar just dropped all its needles. Every needle on the tree dropped. Yeah. And it just looked like a stick. Now, it wasn't a stick. It's a 1937 Vita Koreshov bonsai. Yeah. So we were like, we're stressed out, obviously. It's nearly a, it's an 82-year-old tree, and it's decided to drop every needle on itself because we're, we're not watering enough. So it actually went back to the owner of the tree and where it lives in a, um, a very, very climate-controlled, uh, shade-netted area. Yep. Um, it gets a good amount of sun, but it's gentle. Um, you know, I suppose at eighty-two years old, the tree deserves a little bit of a more gentle life. <laughs> it's it's seen a lot of hard years. It's in a nursing home now. It's in the home, yeah. <laughs> but it's um, you know, and and that's where having different mixes. Like I, I'm I'm slow. as was mentioned before. I'm slowly changing my mixes out from uh organic sort of run-of-the-mill uh, mixes that you buy from your nursery, your, your standard commercial mix, even a Debco mix, these these sort of standard commercial mixes. Um, I'm slightly changing all of my developing trees that are in black plastics. I'm changing them all out into inorganics using Akadama, um, pumice and also uh, zeolite in my mix yep. at different rates. Um, but also to... Uh, but I'm doing that, but I'm now, I've, now I'm running into the problem where I've got two different substrates. Yeah. And so one of them will, and, I, and I'm fortunate in that I do water by hand. So I have that opportunity to say, well, hang on a sec, you're still wet. No. And like there's a couple of trees out there that I may have watered twice in the last two months. Yep. Now we had a rainy couple of days and we've had, a you know, some sort of, intermittent rain and evening but we haven't had a lot of rain but that mix hasn't dried out i can't water it until it dries out a little bit more yep and so being mindful learning that watering that's watering is you, you know for most people it's it's the the killer of the tree yeah they're either watering too much or they're watering not enough it's um, either
1: neglect or too much love
0: too much, you'll start noticing all the funguses and lovely things that come up. Root, yeah, all those root rot and problems mm. that you have. And if you're not watering enough, well, you'll know pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'll end up with a cooked tree. Especially in summer. Well, especially in summer. And, and that's where deciduous trees help you out so much because I have a few what I call tell trees. Yep. I don't know if you play poker in yeah. Texas, autumn, people got to tell. Yep. Well, I've got a few trees out there that tell me that I've got a problem. Yep. So if I look out my window and I see one of my trees is just starting to get a bit of the droopy going, I'm thinking to myself, "Oh, I need to get out there and water now." Yeah. So and I and I actually leave these trees um, in certain spots on the benches just to give me an idea. Okay, that bench is drying out a bit quick now. I might get down and just water that bench. And um, you know, certain trees though I'll have in shadier areas. And I'll move my trees around my yard quite a bit because, you know, I want my maples in full sun at the moment because the sun's nice and gentle. Yep. And I want those buds coming out, hardening off, extending. I want lots of sun on those new leaves because I don't want them extending too much. I want them hardening off early. Yep. And and staying short with short nodes and short growth. Now, if I'm to put them in the, in the shade straight away, well, guess what I'm getting? long needles or yeah. long growth big leaves yeah. not not what i want so but in the middle of summer all that nice new growth all that nice tiny growth that's going to get scorched as hell oh yeah so i'm moving that into the shade so it's that constant this is you're always moving
1: you're well all... it, <laughs> it's funny in in our garden last year i had a well, it's still there? But I got a maple that's ground growing. Yeah, nice. And the sun was just brutalizing it, so I went and got an umbrella and planted it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: people had come through the garden and they look and there was an umbrella planted in the over garden. the top of the maple, lovely. <laughs> and they're, like, what's that for? Yeah.
0: <laughs> absolutely, and that's bringing yeah. the shade to the maple. Yeah,
1: because I can't take it to the shade. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And you know, and a lot of a lot of guys going that way that inorganic substrate way um using i i really like the idea of it um one of the things that i do not like is curl grub yeah and i was mentioning to you i walked past one of my junipers and i bumped it with my arm the thing nearly fell out of the pot and i was like what's going on here and i've grabbed it and lifted it and the whole thing just came out of the pot virtually no roots on it at all yeah and i had like 15 20 curl grubs in the in the pot and i'm like, "Oh." And as I mentioned to you outside, out the back, those things will live in the soil and just eat the um, pine bark. Yeah. They don't even have to eat the roots of the tree. The roots of the tree are just extra. You know, that's a bonus. Yeah. Um, they love the pine bark as much as the tree roots, and they will eat that. So, you know, I took the tree out straight away, straight into my inorganic mix. Um, I put the tree underneath. It's actually in between two bigger trees so that it has a higher humidity in that area. And I'm misting the tree all the time to try and make sure. Didn't cut a needle of foliage off, though, because junipers have their strength in the foliage. Totally different to the pines. Yeah. You know, so I didn't cut a needle of foliage off. It had virtually no roots on it. Tree's doing fine. Yeah. And I'll never get a curl grub in that inorganic mix, ever. Because um, something Hugh told me, He guess, apparently it rips them up. They go through the mix, and they, they their soft bodies don't like the sharp edges and the the corrosive nature of of the um, the pumice or the uh, zeolite. So that it actually rips them apart, and they die.
1: Well, that's, yeah, that's your beauty. No, I, just, I just need to find <laughs> something for ants now. Yeah, wow. Well. I've had a problem with ants. I um, had two lily pillies. Yep, and um keeping on top of the watering and everything they should have been healthy and then they just started going downhill real quick yeah and i couldn't find anything on them and you know yep. trying to find out what was wrong with them and i put them in the shade and yeah, tried to recover uh, them and they're still going downhill and then i thought oh maybe I, m- maybe it's something in the roots yeah pulled them out of the pots and there was a colony of ants whole colony
0: just making air pocket after air pocket yep. after air pocket
1: and uh yep. one of them lived one of them didn't yeah right so oh. one of them I had to cut right back. Yeah. And it's basically starting again.
0: Yeah, fresh start.
1: But, um, yeah. There's-
0: no, I'll often, whenever I have ants, it's usually a sign that there's something else wrong. Um, Ants carry um, aphid. They carry scale yep. up onto your tree. So they'll actually go and pick it off another tree, walk it over and then put it on the other tree and then build a colony off that because aphids, aphids are born pregnant. Yep. So they produce straight away and the next one's born pregnant, produces. And so you can go from a colony of 20 to a colony of 2,000 within a couple of weeks. So if you're not on top of it. Um, but it's usually the answer is a sign that something else is going on. Well, we knew on. what
1: our problem was because we have a massive tree in the middle of the garden Mm -hmm. and all the branches started dropping off it. Just dropping straight up, huge branches. Yeah, right. Dropping. And what's going on here? So we were worried about them coming down on all the benches and that. So we went through with the chainsaw and just started chopping all these branches off. Yeah. And had noticed that the ants were burrowing out in the middle of the, the branches and weakening to the point where they were snapping no joke. And we, we cut all the branches down, cut it all up, and we left it out to age for winter because this was before winter. Yeah, right. So we thought, oh, yeah, we'll let it, you know, dry Let it age up. Yeah,
0: something, something for the fire.
1: Something for the fireplace. And the ants needed a new place to live.
0: They thought your bonsai collection was the place. Loved it. Oh, God.
1: They, they packed up their stuff. <laughs> they, they moved, moved on. It. Moved into lily, yours. The lily pillies were the closest thing to that tree.
0: Yeah, right, yep. Yeah. First so, in, first serve for them. They don't care.
1: Basically, yep.
0: Yeah. I'll, um If I've got them in a bonsai pot, I'll, I'll leave the bonsai in, in water overnight. Yep. So drown them. Yep. Uh, if you have uh, curl grub problems... Uh, that's quite often a way to do it as well. Just dunk them. Uh, make sure the water's covering the the soil, everything, the pot, yeah. Um, and leave it overnight. You're not going to kill your tree. Um, you know, like the tree's not going to rot overnight, but it's yeah. but it's long enough to get rid of an ant colony, and it's long enough to get rid of anything that's living in your soil. Yeah. Um. Either through they'll either stay in the soil and drown, or they'll float. They'll come up to the top of the soil and they'll float up to the top of the water. Yeah. So. That's what I do to try and get rid of that. But ants, as I say, ants are a sign that something else is going on usually. Um, and um, once you – I mean, it's it's hard. I like – a couple of trees of mine at the moment are exhibiting sort of uh, a bit of scale. And so there's reasons why trees, like, get bugs. They're unhealthy for some reason or they're, they're under stress for some reason because a healthy tree will actually repel bugs. Yeah, that was something that was very interesting from that soil guy, um, from that uh, asymmetry podcast. When he's saying that a really healthy tree that's full of energy, if a bug like an aphid or something comes to bite it, it'll actually be so much energy, so much of a sugar rush, if you like, that the <laughs> the bug will die. Yeah. Well, I like the sound of that. That sounds yep. great to me. So, but but in saying that, the reverse of that is, I've got a bug on my tree. My tree's obviously got a problem. It's too weak why is it not enough sun is it not enough fertilizer is it pot bound these are questions that you've got to ask yourself at that stage one of the things that you mentioned was um uh, when you bought when you got your little juniper you took it home and you repotted it and um that's something whenever i bring a new tree to my garden um i will repot it because i need to know what condition the roots are in yep um I need to understand where that tree is at, like what stage we're at. Now, the top of the tree may be at um, stage five, full maturity. Yep. You know, stage one being a fully unstyled immature tree. Stage five being a, a mature tree. Um, but the but the nabari of the tree may be at a stage two. Yeah. So you know. It, yeah, I sort of. These are these are things though that I'll only know if I'm getting sort of hands on the tree and I'm I'm actually getting fully into it. So I'll always try and repot a tree. Um, and plus two, I'm repotting into my own mix. I'm not dealing with something that's gonna dry out twice as quick or stay wet twice as long. Yeah, exactly. You know, I have some consistency in my yard, and as I mentioned, changing substrates over. This is where it's going to be a little tricky, and I'm glad that I don't actually have that full watering system anymore. I'm still hand watering um, because it will allow me to have that um, that control, that, that 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 required control. So yeah,
1: yeah, it's all very interesting. And
0: uh oh, look, mate, we, I mean, bonsai is something that um, and I and I say this to people whenever I I demonstrate. You've Got the right person, I can talk about bonsai for hours. So, yeah. I mean,
1: there's so much you can talk about. Like, I mean, we've talked about just a few things, yeah, absolutely. In, in, in this podcast, you can talk about pots and the different style of pots, oh. and, and then you, you can talk about all different kinds of species of trees, and yeah. You know different styles of tree, whether it be literati or cascade, or yeah,
0: absolutely, or even the you know going for something which is totally out there in 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 some sort of Australian style. Yeah. Um, you know we do have very unique trees here, and um something that um I definitely have been exploring more of. Yep. Um, I have a lot of traditional trees out the, in my collection: pines, junipers, uh, a lot of deciduous like maples, liquid amber. Um, I also have a lot of figs. Um, I do enjoy. I do like the figs, but um, but other natives, the casuarina, especially the casuarina, are really starting to intrigue me. As part of the part of my reason why I went to Vietnam was to learn uh, the casuarina. Yep. Um, Indonesia, Hawaii, uh, Vietnam. They use the casuarina like you wouldn't believe. They even call it the Australian pine. Now. Highly under undervalued and underused uh, material here in in our country. It's <clears throat> it seems silly that we're not utilising something that's so readily available, grows so well in our climate, um, and gives you the bark of a black pine, um, the needle length of of white pine. Yeah. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah.
0: So. And getting back to pines, I haven't even discussed the single flush pines. We've only discussed the multi-flush pines. Yeah. So as a quick, I don't work a lot with the single flush because I the single flush pines, they're your white pine, your Scots pine, your Mugo pine. Yep. Cold climate, alpine climb, uh, pines. We live in a temperate climate up here. They just don't do well enough for me to warrant growing them here where I am. Now, in saying that, up at the nursery at Gillaby, they have three or four weeks, maybe five weeks where it gets down to minus degrees, zero degrees. That's a dormancy that's acceptable for these pines. Um, They really need that dormant period, Um, so... Um, you know for your melbourne listeners your victorian listeners your canberra listeners your single flush pines they break into two two um, distinct groups you've got long needle and short needle single flush the short needle that's where we're breaking the candles yep so we're breaking the candles to dis- distribute energy during spring so as those strong candles come up i'm breaking them off i'm leaving some of the new growth always leave new growth on on single flush pines that's the big difference between the multi flush and the single flush if you were to treat the single flush like the multi flush and cut the candle completely there's no guarantee that you'll get back budding at the base of that cut Yep. whereas with the multi flush we have a guarantee that we we know we can actually you can actually see the buds sitting there dormant whereas in a in a in a single flush they're not there they're not there They're not there sitting dormant at all. Now, that's not to say that you won't get back buds. You'll get a gazillion back buds on on single flush pines. They actually back bud better than the multi-flush. But we need to redistribute energy using uh, the pinch technique. We're pinching candles. So strong candle pops up, I'm pinching it. Next candle pops up, I'm pinching it. Next candle pops up, I'm pinching it. I may do this four, five, six times throughout the growing season up until um, summer. Now this is short needle, single flush. Now once I hit that uh, where they've all uh, matured, hardened off um, then I can come back in and select branches to keep, wire, do whatever. Needle plucking is not something that is done on a single flush pine. We don't needle pluck on a single flush pine to distribute energy. We do that with the breaking of candles yeah yep that's how we're distributing that's the big difference and i think for you know me starting out in bonsai those two worlds of the pine had been mashed together you know what i mean to be black pine you know this is how you do your black pine you break candles you do this well no that's a multi-flush pine you should be doing this a single flush pine yes that's when we break candles now you've got the other type of single flush pine, um, which is usually your long needle pines like your white pines. Um, your um oh it's the pine they use over in the States. Um
1: the Scots pine?
0: No, no, no. It's their native pine over there. Um Ryan Neal uses it quite a bit. It's it's his favorite pine. Anyway, whatever it is. It's a very, very long needle pine. Yeah. Um the weeping pine mexican weeping pines another yep. very long needled pine now these pines we don't we stop feeding in spring yep right you do not feed them at all spring at all right you don't feed them at all until the needles have hardened off and finished lengthening if you feed them during that time in spring those needles will grow and grow and grow and grow and, grow and get long We're after a bonsai, which has short needles, short internodes. So we do not feed single flush long needle pines during spring at all. Now, single flush short needle pines, I'll be honest with you, I I can't say, because I don't work a lot with them, I can't say yay or no to feeding during, during the spring. Yep. But I'd hesitate, I'd guess that it would be much the same and you wouldn't be feeding at all until they harden off because once the needle hardens off, it's not going to extend It's not going to lengthen any more at all. Yeah. That's it. And so now we can feed because we know that we're not going to extend that needle length. And that's the big difference um, in understanding the feeding of the pines. You know, if you're in development, wipe, uh, single flush, multi-flush, it do not matter. You're feeding all year, all year. Right, you want as much food coursing through the veins of that pine as you can get, you know. Um, but for refinement, when we're starting to ramify our pines, knowing when to stop feeding for a multi flush, stop feeding at the beginning of November. For a single flush, I'm not feeding until December or even January. Yep, because those needles haven't hardened off yet. Um. But for the single flush short needle, I would say that you'd probably not feed as well. You'd just be pinching, pinching, pinching those those candles out, maintaining short growth. Because as soon as food goes in, as soon as nitrogen goes in, you mentioned it before, that is the primary driver of elongation of, of leaves, needles, and also that internodal length. So you need to be very careful with that. Yeah. So especially for mature trees. Mature bonsai, can be ruined very quickly with with an improper application of fertilizer. Yeah. So you just need to be careful there. But,
1: but yeah, you know, hopefully by the time you get to that point, you've learnt the knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be quite happy to to put it all on a piece of paper for you, so you can write it down and maybe even put it on your website or or you know to help help your listeners out. Because I mean, hey, there's to me there should never be any secrets with what we do. Yeah. We, we should be all helping out. Uh, each other as much as we can now everyone has a a different way of of doing it i know um i I saw a an article through bonsai northwest i think it was down in victoria and i think it's scott martin down there uh he's trained in japan he he does the 10-day method yep he he he, um cuts the candles on the weak and then the medium and then the strong he uses the 10-day method um he's got some beautiful pines Gigi's got some nice trees.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping so, to uh, have Scott on soon. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so
0: it's not a matter of, oh, that that doesn't work. It does work. But what I've found is the way that I do it, cutting everything in one go, um, it's more efficient. I can control energy distribution better. And I'm not guessing, oh, is that the weak area? Is that the strong area? There's no – and it's not to say that I'm guessing now after 24 years, I'm not, but yeah. if you're unsure – then all of a sudden that's a problem. Yep. What's the weak you know all these questions that race through your head especially as 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 someone starting out. And so that misinformation that was that's been around for so long and you know that that mixing or blending of the two different techniques for single flush and multi flush the blending of those techniques is what has has added to that sort of uh, mystery mystery of what Pine bonsai. The king, you know, to me, they're the kings. The king of bonsai is pines. Yep. By far. They are just amazing, especially when you, if you are ever fortunate enough to get to Japan, um, you know, seeing them in there, you know, where they've been worked on for, you know, that long, I was was fortunate enough to go to see the, I think it's called the Yamaki pine, which is in the Washington uh, DC collection, the National Arboretum over there. They've got their national collection there. And this Yamaki pine, we're talking about generations of people. This one was actually started out as a bonsai in 1674 or something like that. Yep. Uh, I think seven generations of Yamaki family have had it, and it actually survived the Hiroshima bombing. Yeah. It's a very, very famous tree. Um, Because
1: I believe the uh, Japanese gave that to the Americans as a reminder, don't do that again.
0: (laughs) No, it was part of a gift of uh in 1976 the bicentennial of america and it was part of a gift from japan i think there was about 50 odd bonsai that came over as part of and and became the national bonsai collection in in washington and um it's oh that's now that's a collection that you could go see time and time again um It is a beautiful collection of trees. The marky pine is is quite an amazing tree to stand next to something that's three hundred and forty odd years old. Yep. Like holy cow! And you know, I was fortunate, as I say, to be able to go see it in 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 the bark, and see that magnificent tree, and and um, you know, see other collections in the states. I went to the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens and saw their collection, which is a 1927 that collection was started um and has uh uh has had some uh i think mr yoshimura I feel sorry if i if i've butchered that or if it's the wrong person but he was uh one of the key players in bringing bonsai to america the eastern coast yep. and was bill valvanis's main teacher um over there um awesome just amazing trees good collection um but the West Coast is where I want to go next for for the USA if I if I'm fortunate enough to be able to go over there again. Um because I really yeah, I'd love to see Ryan Neal's place at Marai. I'd love to see uh, Hagedorn, uh the Pacific Bonsai Museum, as we mentioned, and all the other collections that are there's there's like four or five collections on the way down that west coast. Um
1: Yeah, he's Boone over there.
0: Uh, yeah, Burns in California. Yeah, and so. you've got
1: Jason Chan as well. East yeah, yeah. Yep, Dan, Dan Robinson, is he?
0: He's further north, but I don't think he. I think I could be very wrong, and I'm, you know, I'm only talking off what I've heard, but I heard he was up in Washington, further north. Oh, okay. Dan Robinson, and um, a lot of his trees are actually at the Pacific Bonsai Museum. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, though, that whether or not that was a like an actual, uh, he was having an exhibition of his trees or whether or not he's put his trees in there to do it, uh, to be on display. Um, I would love to get across to see um, uh, Bjorns. Yeah, uh, ACN. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's on the other side of the country. Yeah. So it's sort of the, you know, do I do a West Coast trip or an East Coast trip? <laughs> um, and there's, I'm sure there's many awesome bonsai nurseries in the middle as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's such a big country. But, um, yeah, look, it's, I, I, you know, my sincere hope is that bonsai in Australia picks up, continues, should I say, to, continues the momentum. Yeah. You know, that it's picked up in the last sort of couple of years. You know, it certainly was there during the 70s and 80s with so many little nurseries um, in Sydney alone, as I mentioned, about 20. Uh, little nurseries little backyard jobs but you know that's what a lot of bonsai nurseries are Um, and then um, you know it sort of died off in the late 80s into the 90s and we only had the mainstay nurseries there the bigger nurseries that are still there you know bonsai environment started up in mid 90s yep Um, and then uh, bonsai south he's been there for uh, leon's been there for so long now i've (laughs) <laughs> every time I see Leong he tells me he's selling uh, he's had enough and that he's, he's been doing it long enough and he wants to get out and he wants to sell everything and then I go see him like two years later and he's still there telling me the same story so <laughs> I don't know if he really wants to get out or if he uh, I don't know but um, there's going to be, there's certainly a changing of the guard in Australia we've had a lot of demonstrators who have been the, the traditional demonstrators I suppose you'd say Um, even at the School of Bonsai, which is down in North Rocks in um, Sydney, um, you know, you're starting to see a change of the curriculum almost where I'm fortunate to to work very closely with one of their founding members or or almost founding member. I think he joined about a year after it started, uh, Mr. John Batty. And um, the way John sees trees is that very traditional. Yep. Left, right, back or, you know whatever it might be one two three one two three one two three has a very traditional sort of viewpoint on me when it comes to uh, working bonsai um, whereas you know your more modern Gendai bonsai contemporary bonsai um, that 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 is that is it, utilize, it allows us to utilize more material more than anything and um, and so we're starting to see as i, as I mentioned that change of curriculum change of thinking more freer thoughts um you know i you know for years like even with with junipers i i was taught oh you pinch out junipers well you don't pinch out junipers you actually should be cutting junipers you yeah should never pinch them unless you're you know to pinch out all the new growth you're just taking away all the energy well I was taught for the first 15 years of bonsai that that's what you do, you know, but it's not. And it wasn't until 2013 again and Ryan Neal coming back from a six-year apprenticeship in Japan where he said, oh, no, you never pinch junipers. You should always cut. But what about the brown tips? Oh, you're cutting in the wrong spot. Yeah. Oh.
1: You're cutting through the needles, not in between them.
0: Not in between them. Oh <laughs> Oh, okay. Yep, sure. And all of a sudden it becomes obvious and you sort of you shake your head and go, Oh, why didn't I see that? But you become that entrenchment of ideas becomes almost a foundation if it's not if you're not careful, you know what I mean? And if it's wrong and it's a foundation that's wrong, you're teaching everyone wrong. Yeah. So that's why there's no secrets like with me, I'm I'm happy to teach and and you know, give anyone all you know, as much knowledge as they want um and and try and further bonsai and keep that momentum going so it's um you know next convention for me will be going down to see the masters yep um i think we we spoke about that earlier um and then i've got um more than likely a couple of club demos here or there or i actually you know we held free workshops up at the um uh, up at the nursery every fourth Sunday of the month yep. where I, I usually i'm usually up there uh been I wasn't able to i think last time because I was skiing so you know that's a tough trade-off that one though so <laughs> <laughs> well, I do enjoy skiing that's a lot of fun but um and if you go to Japan in winter to go to see the cocoa fruit and you can always jump across to the other side on a of the Country and do some good skiing and then come back for the Coco Footin and <laughs> head out to Omnia all on the bullet train. Yep. It's easy to do. But um, yeah, certainly, um, well, my biggest focus for the moment actually is the Bonsai Open up yep. there, Central, Coast's, uh, Central Coast Bonsai Clubs uh, show. So it's being held on the 7th of September this year. And um, yeah, it should be a big show. It's the first time in Australia, really, that a, a club has put up. Uh, yeah, it's three thousand dollars if you win.
1: All right. Yeah,
0: if you enter a tree, you don't have to be a Central Coast member. You can be a, a member of any bonsai club across Australia. Uh, obviously, though, if you live in Tasmania or Western Australia, trees are coming over and never going back. Yeah, <laughs> quarantine will kill that idea. Yep. Um. So, but you know, as a club, we were hoping to we we're hoping to elevate bonsai and the and the the level of bonsai. And well, we figure that. 3,000 for first, 1,500 for second, 500 for third, and 500 for a the best native tree. Yep. Um, it's pretty good incentive for people to get working and to try and put up some good trees. So I'm working on six of mine to go in. A couple of them I don't expect to win anything. I'm just putting them in because I'm a, I am like being part of that exhibition. And, um, you know, it's where the... To me, that's where a lot of the artistic side of bonsai is, is in display. Yep. Um, And a lot of people have that sort of thinking that, you know, the actual making of bonsai is a craft um, and the uh, display of bonsai is the actual art form. Um, You know, to me, I think if you don't have an artistic eye, you're never going to make good bonsai. So there's got to be some sort of art in the actual bonsai. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If you don't have an artistic eye, your bonsai is never going to look great. Um, They might be healthy and they might be horticulturally sound and they might have a half-decent structure, but... um,
1: And they'll be boring.
0: But they might be boring and not interesting, exactly. (laughs) No movement, no, you know. Yeah, exactly, no movement, no hollows, no whatever, no shadow. Whatever it is, um, you know, that's that's something that's... you know, um, you know, you're trying to achieve by, you know, increasing the, you know, you're trying to achieve by having that artistic flair. Yeah. Um, and so you need to have some. Um, and, you know, for someone, you know, getting back to, you know, Hugh Grant, guy did an art, arts, Bachelor of Arts. You yeah. know, he's artistic. He has that uh, flair. You know, for me, that was one of the hardest things to try and find. Um, because I was a rugby player. Yeah, I bashed people for a living. Um, at that time of my life, so (laughs) art wasn't exactly, you know, part of my thing. You know, but it's, and I think if you if you are struggling with that and you're struggling with designing trees, you just need to look at more trees. Yeah, inspiration. Look at more and more of uh, the better trees that are out there, the better the trees that you're looking at, um, the, the better and higher your own bonsai will elevate to. I find anyway, um, you know, and it's like my trips to Vietnam, to Japan, to the States, they're all about, you know, okay, they're, you know, I'm a tourist as well. And, you know, but each of those trips was bonsai every day. Yeah. Um, and different nurseries. As I mentioned the, the, the Vietnam trip was to find out about the Casarina um, because of the underutilization here in Australia. And they, they call it philau over there. And mate, some of those trees were just incredible. Yeah. Um, and, you know, oh, it's just amazing. Really amazing. So, but yeah, elevating it here in Australia, I think using our own natives. Yep. Um, you know, more and more internationals coming out. I think having a very proactive national collection. Uh, Lee Tafe uh, down there, fantastic job, uh, really promoting it, um, trying to get it more mainstream. That's going to be the big thing for for you know bonsai artists and you know, who want to take it to that next level is is making it more mainstream and and promoting your club and. And, and trying to get more people into the clubs, I think, is a good thing too. But, I mean, in saying that, there are just as many people outside of clubs as what there are in clubs. Yeah. And clubs can be funny little things too. I've been part of three clubs and um, one of the clubs, I won't mention it, but one of the clubs was a bit funny to begin with. Like it was a bit sort of, oh, if you don't work on good trees, you shouldn't really be part of our club. It's yep. like, well, that's not a very <laughs> inviting thing. You that's know? why you should be
1: part of a club to learn. Well that's what being a club's members. part
0: of. Now, suffice to say, that club's changed a lot and it's it's got a whole new direction and it's fantastic for them. So and um you know it's it's certainly part of the drive of our club at Central Coast is to to really um be inviting and to to have a base of knowledge. Um we run we run classes for beginners, intermediates, advanced we we try and push people to as many workshops, events as possible and we have uh demonstrators in every month. Yeah. Um we uh work in a lot of stuff so it's uh but yeah, it's uh it's it certainly becomes a lifestyle after a while too. So yeah. because your trees end up governing what you do. Yeah, exactly. And like I went to the I was mentioned I went to the snow well, that was a week down in the snow. Well, I had to organise what was going on for my trees. Because the... <laughs> even though it's our winter, we're still getting 20 degree Celsius days. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just ridiculous. And um, the nights are cold, but the days are hot. Yeah. And position of my trees, a lot of them are in full sun, so I don't use shade netting or anything like that. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's got to be a bit careful.
1: Yeah, so bonsai... Bonsai discussion can definitely ramify pretty quickly. Oh, and, look, uh, it can segue, yeah, <laughs> hasn't yeah. it? So uh, we've just done three hours here. Holy cow. And, um, I mean... It, is, it podcast, is
0: dark outside now. It was light when we started. It's pretty dark out there now.
1: Yeah, so with this podcast, we are trying to push Australian bonsai Absolutely. out to the world. So I think... Um, you know, our discussion today has been very good, and I think awesome. we're definitely going to have you on again. Anytime. Um, yeah, I think I can see you being a staple on this podcast.
0: Anytime, mate. I enjoy it, and I think it's a fantastic thing that you're doing. And, you know, it's uh, full kudos to you, mate. Like, there's, I think you mentioned it before, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot more people out there more qualified, but, you know, you, you're actually doing it. And,. Hat off, hat off to you, mate! Like, well done. Yeah, like, that's, thank you. that's an awesome thing, and I think it's, you know, <coughs> pardon me. We, in order to push it and to to get it going, to, to to crank it up, this this is what bonsai needs. We need things like this, and you know, there are, there are other podcasts out there on bonsai, but there's certainly not a lot. Yeah, but there are a lot of people out there who love bonsai, and yep. and, and and like listening to podcasts. So, uh, kudos to you. Well done.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Anytime. And uh, we'll talk again very soon.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it.